0: Thank you very much, John, and thank you for extending our pulpit to Dr. Tony Sargent. Uh, we are blessed uh, these weeks to have Dr. Sargent with us at Olivet University in the city to be teaching our uh, students. Uh, there, are, I picture three things. Dr. Sargent is a scholar, he's a pastor, and he's a missionary. He's a scholar at... Uh, In Glasgow, uh, his office overlooks the statue of David Livingston. And when he was inaugurated on the uh, uh, staff at the University of Glasgow, 20,000 students, uh, he was honored when they said, we now have the spirit of David Livingston at the University of Glasgow. He was a great pastor. He was pastor of... uh, Spurgeon, we all know Spurgeon being a great uh, UK pastor. He was pastor of the uh, Worthing Tabernacle, which was one of the churches founded by Spurgeon. Tony was pastor there from 1970 to 1998, and so the people in in Worthing enjoyed his wonderful preaching. Now he really works around the world by an organization that he founded, ACTS which stands for Aid, Care, Training, and Supply. Uh, When Ceauquesca was uh, removed in Romania, uh, Tony founded a missionary organization, AXE, to uh, help the people in Romania. And in those 23 years, it's extended to India, Africa, and around the world. And Tony will tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I will not take any more time because you will be blessed to have Dr. Tony Sargent be in our pulpit.
1: Well it's good to be back here. I had the privilege of ministering from this pulpit some years ago. I was saying in the first service that we had this morning where we took a different line from what I'm going to take this uh, this latter service that uh, I always appreciate what the Americans do with the English language. <laughs> it's not your subtractions it's your accretions that are a little bit uh, difficult at times and we have a different jargon. I mean, you have a, a trunk in a cart, and a car, we have a boot. You're on the wrong side of the road. You've been like that for so many years. <laughs> you have a restroom, we have a cloakroom. And there are something like 200 words which we have to explain to Americans when they come to the United Kingdom if, in case they can get on, you know, a little better the, the other way around. But I, I appreciate the way the Indians also handle the English language. I mean, it's not many places where I've been introduced with leaflets and posters saying that I would bring all the evening massages. There's <laughs> not a slight difference between an A and an E, but it does uh, seem to change what you had in mind. <laughs> Though of These services, there were a group of nuns on the front row, and I wonder whether to preach whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, but uh, <laughs> there we are. Um, good to be with you, and there is a sense... And that's why I engage in that humor. There is a sense, uh, Pastor, you'll agree, as a homiletician, that the function of the preacher goes beyond just the mind. He wants to massage the heart. He wants, by the power of the Spirit, to massage the will, to appeal to the total personality. So if massage means reinvigorating if it means re-energizing, if it means re then I'll stay with the Indian mistake. A great fan of my wife's who comes from South Africa is Nelson Mandela. I stood by Nelson Mandela's cell some years ago to pay homage to the man and what he stood for in South Africa he left prison mercifully and became a legend in his own time as President of the Republic and after he retired he actually influenced UNESCO he influenced UNESCO with regard to the subject matter which I am privileged to address this morning the situation of children around the world I want to show you how Mandela's understanding gets even greater authority when it's contextualised from the Bible. There is a verse to which I'll make reference later when I read from the Bible, which asks the question Are you alright? Is your husband all right? Is it right with the child? And the answer is no. It's not right with children in the 21st century and we need to speak out and clothe what we have to say with action The story told in the second book of Kings about a lady who like myself and my wife with her husband had no children and unlike us a child was miraculously conceived and later on The sunshine went out as the lad prematurely died as a result of sunstroke. So she came to the man of God who prayed for her and who had received hospitality from her to indicate something of her problems. And you pick up the dramatic reading in the fourth chapter of the second book of Kings. It's a long chapter and I would ask you to read it completely in your leisure sometime this afternoon or this evening. It's amazing how the quality of print is not as good as it used to be. <laughs> Verse 25 She set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel Second Kings chapter 4 When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shulamite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? And using the authorized version, my translation renders, Is it right with the child? Everything's all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, She took hold of his feet to Gehazi came over to push her away but the man of God said leave her alone. She's in bitter distress but the Lord has has hidden from me and has not told me why. Did I not ask you for a son my Lord she said didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes. Elijah said to Gehazi "Tuck your cloak into your belt take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone. You meet and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Let lay my staff on the boy's face. The servant did this but to no avail. Almost like the disciples who couldn't help the demoniac when the man brought him to the disciples and only the Lord could undertake. Verse 32, when Elisha, "'Reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. "'He went in, shut the door on the two of them, "'and prayed to the Lord. "'Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, "'mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. "'As he stretched himself out on him, "'the boy's body grew warm. "'Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room, "'and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more.' the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. Another verse which you'll find difficult to relate to this particular chapter is in the first book of Kings and the eleventh chapter. And there we read of Solomon who has deserted the Lord Verse 5, he followed Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians and Molech the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you go on to the following verses. On a hill, verse 7, on a hill east of Jerusalem Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the detestable god of Moab. And for Moloch, the detestable God of the Ammonites, he did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifice to the Lord, to their gods. And now one final reading. Ezekiel in chapter 16. And in the 20th verse, here is the prophet in the name of God denouncing the people of God verse 20 Ezekiel 16 you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to the idols was your prostitution not enough you slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols and that's where I would leave the reading Apart from saying that later on we come to the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew, and here is one greater than Solomon, here is one greater than Elisha. And he sets out what I define as the earliest charter of human rights, carrying the signature of Jesus Christ that governs children in every age. Years ago, I was in the company of Mother Teresa. Her own background and mine were completely different. You could hardly get a greater contrast. And I remember saying to her, how do you make the conclusion that to minister to one of the kids that you find and the refuse tips in Calcutta, a place that I know so well, how do you find justification to refer to them as little Jesuses? And she took me to that 18th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. You receive a child in my name. You receive me. If McDonald's ran its outfit like the Christian church runs its organization, McDonald's will be bankrupt within two months. They target the most potential, the most fertile market. The most fertile market, so to speak, inverted commas on the word market, for the message of the church are boys and girls under the age of 16. 70% of all conversions come when folks are in that category. Yet the American and U.S. churches and U.K. churches, it is estimated spend 70% of all their income targeting adults. The most fertile group tends to have second class interest over against the most fertile group. That is an extraordinary conundrum that we need to face. And I congratulate your church here. This is not been kind in terms of your past and the oversight, the concern that you have for a full time children's pastor. As the years have gone by in my life, I have come to a realization that one of the greatest investments has to be the investments in children. That's one of the reasons why I've spent more time than I care to remember on the cutting edge of poverty and then come back to the West and have somehow to reconcile the way that I live, with two bathrooms in our home, at least two showers, over against kids with distended tummies who don't get the blessing of one bucketful of water per day. 60% Calcutta is slum. I could keep you going with statistics almost for the next hour of the problems that children are facing in different areas of the world. One out of four kids in Namibia are orphans. I had a huge meeting in Nairobi some years ago and as a result got to know the President. And I was speaking once again about children and the needs of children. And for the africa Inland Church, one of the biggest denominations, to find credibility in Africa by ministering to the kids, several hundred of whom are abandoned every week. And in the middle of my exhortation, the door of the church I was speaking at opened at the, at the front. And down the aisle came two wonderful that I was going to discover were American lady missionaries. And they got a little bundle in their arms. And they presented the bundle to me. This looked theatrical, but it wasn't. It was just their gut reaction to what I was saying. They'd been in the African toilet and found this kid. Coated in excrement. They cleaned it up. And brought it to me. And it became a visual. To challenge the leaders. Of the Africa church. To apply concern. For children. And to speak up for those kids. Who cannot speak for themselves. Is it right with the child? No. Two billion Children, 2.2 billion children live in the world today. According to UNESCO, 1.2 billion are undernourished, are without the full education, don't have the pleasure of turning on a tap and washing their hands each day. It is appalling that in the 21st century we should be confronted with this sort of situation. And here in the United States, as well as in the United Kingdom, we tend to be cushioned from this. My grandfather lived in the early 1900s. You could excuse him for anything in terms of insensitivity to world need. He didn't know. I can summon our teams in India or Pakistan or wherever just within a couple of minutes by a flick of my mobile. When William Carey went to India, it took him one year to get a response from the Baptist Missionary Society in the United Kingdom. One thing we cannot plead is ignorance of the situation. We have televisions, which sometimes are superbly used in terms of documentary to give us information that we require. Like the tragedy to to which reference has been made in prayer. This... uh, This morning, we know, we know, my grandfather didn't. Jesus, when he was preaching on one occasion, put across what is arguably his most well-known story. Maybe the only competition would be the prodigal son, the good Samaritan. And at the end of the story, the punchline is the Samaritan speaking to the innkeeper and saying, take care of him. Him being the one who was exploited on the Jericho Road. If God in heaven is saying a word to the church in these days, surely it is. Renewing the request to the innkeeper and interpreting it as the request to the church. The church, I believe, is the most in- unstoppable force in the world today. It brings about change by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Soviet Union that was 20 years ago no longer is. China which was 25 years ago close to the gospel. To the extent that I secreted myself over the border. To find the pastor from Shanghai Tabernacle. A linked sort of church. Who'd done 20 odd years in jail. And when I found him in the back streets of Shanghai. An elderly man with his blind wife on the floor, clinging to his legs as though she'd never let him go. She'd also had time in jail. I asked him about the conditions in China and he started to tell me about the beginnings of a, revo- a, re- a revival. And now I'm thinking, if I took you to Shanghai today, where we managed to get the the, the, the Operation Mobilization ships to uh, do us and log us in, China is the country that has printed and published more Bibles in the last five years than any other country in the world. Why am I saying these things? Because situations change. What seems to be impossible becomes possible with God. The breakdown of the Soviet Union meant the creation of countries which have got to be charismatic to be able to pronounce the names that they were given The change in China is just so unbelievable. Last Sunday I'm preaching in Los Angeles, see? And one of my sponsors, one of my chairmen for for, for meetings is a a leading Iranian. He'd just come back from Singapore. There'd been 22,000 Christian leaders meeting there to discuss world evangelization. 18,000 of them came from China. I mean, the change in the last... 30, 40 years, missiologically, that means as far as the gospel is concerned and the opportunities and the response is absolutely phenomenal. The old Pentecostal church when I was brought up as a kid, in the north of England, we used to sing the chorus, God is still on the throne. And he is. Working out his plans and his purposes. Is it well with the child? No, Lord, it's not. Hey, how old was Adam when he was born? And the answer is, well, he wasn't born. At least on the way that you and I came on this earth. I I used to feel when I was a 30-year-old pastor that when Adam came into the world, he came in the perfection of manhood, which I thought was 30 years. And then I adjusted it to 40, (laughs) 50. I'm not going any further. I just adjust it all the time. How old was Jesus when he was born? And the answer is, well, he was born in Bethlehem's manger, he was born like you and me, but without the uh, virgin aspect, the miraculous aspect of the conception. But he went through the same process. We have, the writer to the Hebrews says in a verse, just before the ones which were read to us earlier, we have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That's a double negative. Hebrews, the, the, the Hebrew language uses it to enforce the positive. We have someone who is capable of sympathizing with a woman who is a refugee and has a, a kid clinging to her breasts. He has an ability to, to, to sympathize with friends that I have from Iraq and Iran who, who would desperately love to have a, an American passport, a British passport. Because he knew what it was to be a refugee. He knew what it was to be under the threat of death even when he was born. The tinge of blood on the manger of our Lord following circumcision was an anticipation of the horrific spilling of his blood 32 33 years later. But, But the reason why he's born as a child surely is to give weight to the teaching of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament with regard to children. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. These were ditties that I learned as a Sunday school kid, and they become more and more precious as the days go by. He knows my name. You heard that haunting little refrain from the African kid that we, we back the, 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 the pictures of children and the, the comments of Mandela. He does know my name. There's not one kid who finds himself in the jungles of Zaire. There's not one kid who is abused by taking to the so-called Lord's Resistance Army on the borders of Uganda. I haven't time to explain all these things I could do if I had an infinite amount of time. But just take my word for it. The, the, the most famous hotel in India is the Taj Mahal Hotel in Mumbai. Some years ago, Pakistan terrorists came and the, the, the guests became prisoners. It it was a terrible business for them. The, The Egyptian, the Indian army sent in its crack regiment to surround the hotel, and eventually these tourist prisoners were released. I was there. Some two or three years later, the management gave us permission to launch an organization called SSS, Stop Sexual Slavery, and we had pictures of of girls who were forced into slavery. One million in Asia. It could take you to places where girls are in, in cages. Look, this is the 21st century. I mean, if you put me back to John Newton's time, you might think that this was a contemporary message for then, but not now. But the fact of the matter is, so many things go on sort of beneath the surface. The mafia, their rewards, quote-unquote, are not in millions, but in billions As a result of the sex industry. We had newspaper reporters. We had the police. We had politicians. As we launched with Ravi Zacharias and others. SSS. The fact of the matter is. That when India recognises or should recognise. The plight of its youngsters. It does not even take the precautions that it took to release western tourists in the Taj Mahal that crack troops and one Indian leader was saying addressing the press and the politicians the Christian leader we need we need to use the best resources we have in order to break the power of sexual trading in these days liberate children from the bondage of poverty Some people tell me that this is not preaching the gospel. That I'm getting too concerned with social issues. Charles Spurgeon, my great hero and the one who helped to bring the church that I pastored into being, said it is immoral to give a man dying of hunger a tract. A religious tract. Unless you put it between two pieces of bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, says the blessed Christ. Neither shall he live without it, so he feeds 5,000 and more people. Excuse me if I speak with passion, but I wasn't born in the refrigerator. Is it well with the child? And the answer is, no. Why do I single out Solomon? Solomon. I have a great problem in referring to him as the wisest man who ever lived. Maybe he was at one stage. But then he engages in a proliferation of marriages, right? And I took you to a verse, an obscure verse, which probably wouldn't have made too much sense, but I don't apologize because Scripture is to be considered in depth. And what becomes clear, with, um, unclear with a bit of concentration uh, brings up its, uh, its meaning. The god Moloch and Chimosh, The gods. The gods of his wives. He built them temples. Where did he build them temples? On the eastern hill. Outside Jerusalem. What was part of their worship? The sacrifice of children. So I take you to the book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, condemnation is leveled at the practice of child sacrifice. But if you read the verse carefully with me, or if you'll check me out on this, when God speaks about those kids, he doesn't speak of them as though he's unrelated to them. He talks about my children. My children. As though God identifies with the children of the world down all the ages. Abraham, your seed shall be as the stars in the heaven, as the as, as, as sand on the seashore. The progeny of Abraham, those who are saved, are to be numbered with great factors, with with tremendous numbers, almost incalculable. And you ask yourself, how does all that come about? How would it all figure? And maybe the answer is the tale of the the beginning of the nineteenth century. One third of children died in infancy. Charles Spurgeon refers to the great plague of London. In Moscow, in our own time, at one stage, more kids were aborted than were delivered in terms of having life. If you add all this together, you're getting an innumerable, uncountable number of children. So the question comes, which is not just a question of curiosity, it's a question of theological importance. What happens to the kids? I was a pastor for years, I loved my church the hardest thing I ever did even now I feel it It was to leave and go to Scotland not that Scotland was a problem having arrived by the time your pastors finished with Scotland and told them that they've got to stay in the United Kingdom they'd be doing them a good service but uh I had some tremendous pastoral challenges to face as a pastor. I mean, what do you do when a couple give birth to a Down Syndrome child, which lives for 40 days and dies and you're left with, and pastors are are, are made out of, of nerves and feelings and emotions and questions and certain areas of agnosticism, like anybody else. But what do you do as the, the, the little child in a, in, in, a, in a box that I could have carried in one hand was was brought into the funeral chapel? How, how do you speak to the parents? And, and that morning I, I ransacked my thoughts, I ransacked my Bible, and I came across Psalm 84, which is David speaking about the temple in Jerusalem. The temple is not hermeneutically sealed. In other words, it has windows and window frames. It doesn't have windows and window frames. There are gaps. And into the temple, the eaves of the temple, fly little birds. The police can only get into the Holy of Holies once a year. But these little birds can get and perch on top whenever they want. And David puts it like this. The sparrow hath found a nest. And I thought that's it Lord. That's what I have to preach on. The sparrow has found a nest. Maybe there is a greater grace. Not having to pass through what Lloyd-Jones. My more contemporary mentor called this. Dark uncertain earthly life and pilgrimage. Maybe to have a fast track through. And go immediately into the Father's presence will ultimately in eternity be seen to have been the best course. I I, I leave that for your consideration. But one thing does become perfectly clear. That as Elisha went and ministered to the Shunammites' son, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, chest to chest, legs to legs, it's it's a most dramatic picture. As he identifies with the need of that child. So a greater than Elisha will recognize the needs of children. In the first century where our Lord was conducting his ministry. There was hardly anything that gave children rights whatsoever. Even Judaism was not absolute. At Rome it was possible to get rid of your kids. Nobody spoke on behalf of some authorities who've checked up on child history, the history of children, have said that by and large, historically, they've had a pretty rough deal. And one day the disciples come up to the blessed Christ and they said, "Father," uh, They said, Lord, who's going to be the greatest? Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And the question was, was really provoked by their immaturity. They were concerned to carve out a niche for themselves. You know the story, you're well taught here. I don't need to go into the background of it. And Jesus does something which is extraordinary. I do believe that if he'd been around, only it would always have worked for him, there would be overhead projectors and all that sort of stuff. But he hasn't got there. So he uses visuals in his teaching. Behold, a Saul went forth to Saul. He talks about a shepherd. You can almost imagine him, pointing it out in the distance. And there's a kid. Possibly the son of Peter. Who comes into his midst. And Jesus says to become great in my kingdom. To enter my kingdom. You have to become as a child. Not childish but childlike. Now now what's one of the the, the most damaging things you can do to a child? Let me put it positively. What is one of the most agreeable instincts of a child? The answer is trust. Sometimes I think children will kill me. Now hang on before you make a wrong conclusion. You see, we've got orphanages. I told you I have no blood children, so to speak. But I have children that almost take my blood. When I mean, you go into one of our orphanages, they know that you're there, and, and they feel a sort of indebtedness to you. And, and with three or four kids hanging around your shoulder, you can cope. But when it gets to 25, you do begin to wonder if this is the way you're going to die. I mean, what a wonderful way to die, in the love of children. Now, why do they do that? Well, because of trust. I'm not just using myself as an example. That would apply to you too. This is why, don't you see, this is why pedophilia is almost the unpardonable crime. Jesus says that if you take a child and abuse him, it would be better for you that a millstone had been around your neck and you had never been born. My mother taught me the prayer, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. There wasn't much that was gentle and meek. When he was denouncing trade in children, Solomon has a temple. The temple is east of Jerusalem. Children are sacrificed there. The day will come when the Christ of God, not in a temple, But on a skull-shaped hill. Will be robbed of life. Put it theologically, miraculously. Will give up his life. In the interests of children. And men and women. Jesus identifies. With the child. Within the charter of human rights. That I find that Mandela has got. That has its origin. Whether he knew it or not. In Matthew chapter 18. Reference is made to a scripture I don't understand. I like to believe it and interpret it in, in my way, but I have to leave question marks. I, I, I can't grasp all the logic. But, but the Christ of God says, each child has an angel. There is some sort of supervision. He knows my name. I, I don't understand how the great God looks down from heaven and sees some of the things that I see. And he has the ability to do what I can never do. I don't understand the silence of God. Job speaks about the outskirts of God's ways. One day I'll understand, but this I do know: that he who receives Jesus receives the one who sent Jesus, and in the receiving of Jesus, you engage in the ministry that he had. So, prime attaches so prime in importance to the relief. And we living one's life for the benefit of kids. You see, even statistically, I can argue that my, my, my application, my, my concerns in terms of a proclamation of gospel and meeting the needs of children is logical. I mean, it's wonderful when a 70-year-old comes to know the Lord and we should always be concerned to evangelize our senior citizens. But a 70-year-old has a limited lifespan when I get a kid from the streets of Glasgow who's cutting himself. Who comes into my college drunk. And the, uh, my faculty want me to expel him and I refuse to do so. And the reason why I refuse to do so, I put him in the chair alongside my office. And I said, tell me, my son, something about you. He speaks of his father, the pedophile. He speaks of his sister in jail. He tells me about the problems of even thinking of coming to the college. And his self-loathing. I didn't explain. I took him home. He lived with us. I've just written to the Bishop of Derby and saying, don't hesitate. This is some years later. Don't hesitate to admit this fellow into the ministry of the Church of England because he will reach people in the British community that you and I will never reach. He has the potential. He's got a lifespan in front of him. Bruised as a kid, comes to an understanding in our library of the Gospel of Christ, responds to the baptism or the fullness or whatever you call it, of the Holy Spirit and gives his life in the service of Christ. I've got one fellow who's just got a PhD from Aberdeen University. We found him in the back streets of Manipur in North India. He was a, 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 a worker in the fields. A peasant, that's the word I was looking for. A peasant for 11 years. He doesn't even know how old he is. We gave him a rudimentary education. And he's now back in his home country. Organized meetings for me some years ago. A couple of years ago. 30,000 people came to those meetings. A peasant in the field. All he needed was the opportunity that the like of I have had. This is why I'm not wanting to make you uncomfortable. I'm giving you the best piece of advice next to acknowledging Christ as your Lord and Savior that anybody could ever give you from this pulpit. That when you join in Jesus' crusade to minister to children... Then you ratchet up for yourself in heaven. Credit in terms of approval for what you're doing. You're not working for that, but it's, it's automatic. You receive Jesus. And you receive children in Jesus' name. And what you have done will never be lost. Do you remember the picture of the little girl, the last one who came up on that? The screen wasn't too clear. Beautiful little kid. I took a picture by the airport in Hyderabad. And flashed across alongside the picture. In 100 years time it will not matter what job I did. What influence I had. What car I drove. What house I lived in. That comes from UNESCO. Not from the Bible. But it's a biblical principle. It's what we do. In the name of Christ. For children. Not refusing to admit responsibility for other age groups too. But especially concentrating On children. That's what counts. That's when the church becomes more rational, more logical. That's when it becomes more Christ like. I'm just about through. I haven't yet turned to my notes. The Apostle Paul sometimes says, writing to the Thessalonians, about that day. That day, we find it also in the prophecy of Isaiah, that day, the eschatos day, the final day. On that day, what will matter is what you have done with your discipleship. Is what you have done with that which God entrusted you with. The fact that you had more intelligence than other people is not as a result of you, it's a result of a divine bestowal. Your ability as a as a businessman, your acumen was placed there by the Lord. Everything you have, every talent you possess, is His. John Calvin is quite right. There's there's no such thing as an ordained ministry, or as, as opposed to an unordained ministry. But we're all priests. The only difference between the Church of England minister is he's paid to be good, whereas the laity are good for nothing. Well, you know, that was subtle humor, but it missed some of you. But then you've lost an hour's sleep so you're forgiven. In that day in that day the day when Christ shall return there will be no more of the crimes and injustices and poverty that we've known in this world. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day I'll never see another bloated body belly of a little boy I'll never see another leper who's tossed out of society simply because of their disease. I'll never know of another community that's been bombed as Iraq was bombed and as other countries in our world have been bombed. Never know of the injustices that we find so much in the 20th century when justice shall roll like a river, like a mountain stream. When there'll be no more poverty, no more begging. I have a dream. Is it well with the child? And the answer is no, it's not. But it could be and it will be. When we identify with children as Elisha identified with this kid. When we identify with children as our Lord identified with children. If you go to the place where our Lord was crucified. Go a little further down to Masada. Masada was a Roman fortress. It's where the Romans used to take their vows to Caesar. From the hills of Judea, their voice would echo. I sometimes think of Masada. I sometimes think of sh- shouting out, Is it right with the child? And the response from the four corners of the world is, It's right. He's back children are safe the kingdom that he has come to establish is going to come in its fullest force no more sorrow, no more tears no more crying and whether or not I ever come to the United States again please understand my comment it's meant sincerely it's not meant boastfully remember this word: is it right with the child it should be, but it isn't. But we can make it more right as we take responsibility for children in whatever permutation is possible to you through the Baptist Missionary, Strict Baptist, the Southern Baptist Missionary Organization, or all other charities. I've interested you in some of the things I've said. There are some leaflets left. I also had some books this morning, but they've cleared me out uh, on the work in which we're engaged. It's only a small work hours. It's not as grandiose as it was sounded. I appreciate the comments. Thank you for the privilege of preaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for one another. The pilgrims going through the dark and certain journey. We've only one crack at life and some of us are towards the end of that opportunity. Help us to use the time that is available to us to live joyfully without unnecessary guilt but to respond to the responsibilities that Jesus makes clear in the teaching of the parable of the of the, of the good Samaritan. Help us to be like Elisha. To seek out the Shulamite's child. To minister to households. Lord, hear us for the kids. In the sex industry. Hear us for those who create this sort of situation. And break them or break it, we pray. And bless America. and give to this country the confidence and the courage. To work through the children's charter. As encapsulated in Matthew 18 for your name and for your honor.